Welcome to episode 325 of Live Happy Now. Every other year, the International Positive Psychology Association holds its World Congress to bring together the leading researchers and practitioners to talk about the latest practices in positive psychology. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm sitting down with LiveHappy.com editor Chris Libby to talk about some of the programs we enjoyed during this year's virtual IPA World Congress and discuss what research most intrigued and surprised us and what we're excited to learn more about. Here's how that conversation went. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. It's good to hear from you again. Well, it's been a while. We used to do this every once in a while. We should probably start doing that again. We just sit down and and riff and talk about stuff we were learning about positive psychology. Yeah, so it's good to have the chance to do this again. So this year we got to attend the International Positive Psychology Association World Congress virtually, which was quite different than we've done in the past. It was. We've been lucky enough to to attend these in person, like in Montreal, one in Orlando. But this was different because it was our new Zoom world. So everything was on Zoom and recorded and pre-recorded. But it was nice because you could fit more sessions in, <laughs> I thought. Yeah. And it's nice we can get it after the fact, too. I'm kind of enjoying that. The one thing we did do that we always did in person was that we kind of had to divide and conquer and cover different sessions. So I really wanted to get you on here to talk about some of the things that you saw and what you took away from it. So I guess to get started, what was your biggest like overarching takeaway from the whole three-day event? I think the obvious thing was resilience. And of course, the last couple of years, we know why, because the world <laughs> was forced to deal with the pandemic and how, you know, there was a lot of new things in a lot of people's lives and a lot of things that were taken away from people. And so a lot of people were in different situations and they needed to know how to handle that. And what they really focused on this conference was resilience in crisis. And I enjoyed that because it's what we needed. It was topical and it's the information that we needed at the time. And we still need the overall thing was the, I think they really focused on post-traumatic growth, which was kind of a new concept for the last 10 years, but I think it's building prominence. And it's basically, it's your resilience skills to not only weather the storm, so to speak, but to help you flourish on the other side. And so I think a lot of the sessions focused on resilience, which is what the world needed right now. Yeah. And you've written a lot in the past about post-traumatic growth. I've written a few things about it. And it's interesting because the whole concept is how you, you can transcend past your loss. And it doesn't mean you don't recognize that loss. You accept that loss and then you work on those skills to help you get through it. And not everybody can, but there are some reports that people like in huge strategies, when we wrote about it in Live Happy Magazine, we had some examples from, and this wasn't my story, but it was a story we had, but some examples after the Boston bombing and how Mm -hmm. some people went through this huge traumatic incidents, but they were able to come out on the other side and even benefit from that. So there are some instances where you can flourish after a tragedy. And I think what was different with this is it's a tragedy that we are all sharing. It's a crisis that every one of us has been affected by. And I think, one, we understand each other a little bit better, even though we're coming from different places and stages in it. I think we all have this shared experience and a little bit more empathy for what others are going through. And the tools that they were giving us 
were very helpful because like right now, we're kind of going back into it. You know, we see the threat of lockdown coming. We see mandates returning. And so I think what was so important is all these skills that they talked about kind of in in past tense are skills and tools that we still need. We need to be able to break out now. Absolutely. I think that's probably another theme is the collective change we can make. And I think that because we are all experiencing the same thing together, it gave us a bigger sense of connection and that, you know, hey, it's not just me alone. And so, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of these sessions that I went to talked about what we can do at institutional levels or community levels or what employers can do because that just adds so much to it. Then, of course, individuals working on their well-being helps ripple across. But also when we do it at an organizational level, it helps so much more. Yeah, you had some really good examples of the sessions that you attended where people were doing things in, in terms of a community. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there was one in the UK. They had a research project with, they have things over there called community pharmacies. And they're just like health centers in their community. But what they started doing was they were implementing social positive psychology interventions as well as the other medicines they were giving out or prescribing. And they called it prescribing happiness. And they noticed that they started getting things, you know, talking to people about being more active, getting more exercise, being more aware of the world around you, making sure you keep those connections strong with your colleagues and neighbors, and just, you know, being sure that you do, you know, you have acts of kindness, you do something nice for others, whether it's a friend or a stranger. And these just enhance their mental health as well as their physical health. And when they had them at the end of the eight-week research project, they had them take life satisfaction scale and the subjective happiness scale. And they realized that they had both increased from week one to week eight and that those factors had some kind of impact. That's super cool because I I feel like more medical professionals should be able to do that, you know, and instead of just treating it with like, here's the medication you take, or here's the prescription, if they did have more to say about, well, you know, hey, in addition to this, you need to make sure you're getting 20 minutes of sunshine every day, you may need to make sure that you're getting a walk in and you're reaching out to someone. I mean, I think that can make a tremendous difference in one, someone's outlook, and we know their optimism directly correlates with healing. And I just think that could you know, you mentioned the ripple effect earlier. I think that could make a huge ripple effect if every person just started implementing that. Absolutely. And there are more information centers or places we could go to get this to, to where it's, right. it, it's intertwined with our physical health as well. I mean, there's so many instances. One of the other sessions I attended, I learned something that was very interesting about our connection with others. And, you know, Of course, we have a huge loneliness problem here and as well in in the UK, and it probably didn't help matters the past year and a half when we were in lockdowns and and forced to be secluded. But they say that that feeling of exclusion activates the same brainwaves as physical pain. So that's, yes, that's why it's so bad for our health. And that's why we need to get control of this connection issue and make sure we we reach out to each other, even through Zoom, you know, just make sure you make those attempts to be connected because it's so easy to isolate yourself, especially now. And so you really got to work at it. That's really interesting to me because I wasn't aware of that. I knew loneliness has a, a profound effect on us, both, you know, mentally and physically, but I didn't realize that that feeling of exclusion can trigger 
the same brain waves as pain. And so you think about that, even like as a parent, when a child is left out of a sport or left out of the in crowd to kind of approach that differently, because I think we've always tended to be like, well, it's okay. Kind of like, forget them, go on, you'll be fine. But Mm -hmm. that's really interesting to know that it has that kind of profound effect on us. Yeah, it really, and the more that we're starting to, to find that out, because we are, we need to, we're, again, we say it all the time, we're social creatures, we need that connection to function well. And so without it can leave us really in a bad place. So what else? You had a lot of good things that you were checking out. You were talking about the past presidents. That was a great, great panel. And you really took a lot away from that. It did, because they were kind of given a state of what positive psychology, where it is right now. And it seems to me, now that they've had more than 500 studies on well-being, they've had almost two decades worth of research. And they're finding that, you know, the interventions work. They give you the tools to buffer against these adverse things that we have to deal with, which, you know, gives you strength to handle these situations. They're finding more about cognitive psychology, neuropsychology. People are coming up with more interventions. Like we talked about one in Live Happy that a friend of ours, Dan Tomasulu, he, you know, Martin Seligman did the gratitude visit, which meant that you would thank somebody who in your life that had some profound meaning on you or even a forgiveness. And then Dan came up with the idea is, you know, we're not always there. The people could be gone or you're physically not there or they've passed on. So he created the virtual gratitude visit where you didn't necessarily need somebody there, but it felt good for you to, you know, to address that gratitude that you needed to address with somebody. And those are the kind of ideas that they're constantly coming up with and new ways to do things and, you know, finding out that this stuff kind of does work, you know, it makes you feel better. (laughs) It helps, you know, it alleviates some of those negative things like depression and anxiety and it is effective from what they've said that they've said, I mean, you know, there's still, it's still early on, but, and there's a lot more to go, but some of these interventions, they're finding people do have better health, more success at work, better relationships. And so now there's enough time has passed and enough research that you can really start to draw on some conclusions. Yeah, it is interesting to look at it because we've seen it, you know, just in the last seven years that that we've been doing this, we've seen how new principles are being developed, new theories that are based on that strong, super strong platform of positive psychology that the founders, you know, people like Barbara Fredrickson, Martin Seligman, Chris Peterson, where they created this foundation and now new researchers are coming along and taking a different spin on it, adding to that existing research. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's exciting to see it from the sidelines as it's really growing, you know, it's hitting like, it's really hitting its stride. It seems like. It is. And they made the point that the pandemic and the lockdowns, they were a great opportunity for some of those interventions to really be put to use. And, you know, put the rubber to the road, I guess, so to speak. (laughs) But it's an opportunity to really test those things. Yeah, we did put it to the test like never before. And we're continuing to do so. And, you know, we saw that with the podcast. We saw a greater interest in Live Happy Now. And people were forced to stop. And, you know, we were standing still in our tracks going, what do we do now? And so that's where I think positive psychology has given us such a fantastic toolkit and a roadmap for how to go forward. And what we're seeing is it's not just like one 
solution. There's so many things. It's like, it's kind of like a menu. It's like, what's, you know, what works for you? Is it going to be using gratitude? Is it, you know, what is going to be your choice of how you best maneuver through this difficult time? Absolutely. And one of the interesting points that Barbara Fredrickson made is she developed a free positive psychology course in 2015 on Coursera. And she said in 2020, she had the most active users that she's ever had. So that shows you that people were searching. And she said she didn't even advertise for it. They were just searching for it and they found it organically. And so that just shows you the interest level. Something I really liked, I sat in on a couple of different, one was a panel, one was a regular presentation that was talking about some of the positive change that came out of the pandemic. We actually ended up doing a story about it that's on the livehappy.com website. It's not surprising given that positive psychology was developed to say, hey, let's stop looking at why people are ill and start looking at what works for positive mental health. And so it's it's not surprising they took this same approach of, okay, let's not look at all the negative things in terms of, yes, there were rates of depression and anxiety and other challenges, mental health challenges. And they studied some of the positive outcomes. And it was very surprising to see the levels of gratitude that increased, the kind of resilience that we saw, the compassion and caring for one another. And that was a wonderful reminder that it's been a tough 18 months and it continues to be so. But there were a lot of great things that came out of it and a lot of great things that are continuing to happen that would not have happened without the pandemic. Absolutely. And now if we have to go back backwards a little bit with this pandemic, knowing what you just said, a lot of people will have the skills to get through it. So. Right. And if they don't, they can go to livehappy.com. There you go. <laughs> and and start looking for them. So for all your happiness needs. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We are your one-stop shop. Well, we'll mm-hmm. at least tell you where else to shop, but there you but go. You can come visit us. So Chris, what is your your favorite part about IPA that you took away this year? I mean, again, it was so different. It was weird not like drinking coffee with you before the shows, <laughs> before the shows, before the presentations. But what did you like most about this year's IPA World Congress? I just like the adaptability, like we talked about in the beginning. And yes, the world changed, but the world still has to go on. And, you know, this research is continuing and it's adapting to these situations. And, you know, it's giving us the tools to get through. One of the other parts or sessions that I sat on was productive and satisfying at work, even though we're all dealing with this with this situation where we're forced to be at home, Jane Dutton had some great points about the workplace to improve well-being and pro-social behavior. She suggested that Zoom, now that we've had Zoom, we've had an opportunity to kind of get to know each other a little bit more because we're all having Zoom from our homes and you know, you can kind of see what's going on in the background and people are probably talking about it. Yeah, like, yeah I've got these two dogs that may bark. So, <laughs> so you know, I hope you don't mind, you know, and it gives just another way for people to interact and connect. And because you improve your well-being at work when people truly care for each other. And she also suggested routines for mutual helping, enhance the quality of connection, collective gratitude, and just being able to make these positive impacts while we're still on lockdown. It's a motivation for us to help others and to complete the task. So, yeah. It really is. I, yeah. And they were a lot of stuff said that teamwork was a big player and people were more open to teamwork. And even though we weren't even together. Chris, it's always a pleasure to have you sit down and talk 
we need to do this again. Reinstate our fireside chats. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this was fun. It was fun yeah. getting back into this. Yeah. And we got a lot to talk about. That's the thing. We both have like this, all this stuff that we went to. So yeah, we'll do this again because we got lots. We have topics now. Yes. So much more new information. That's why I love every, I believe it's every two years that IPA comes around, but there's so much information dumped on you at once. And so you get some time to go through it and see that there are a lot of applicable things for people out there that they need to know about. Absolutely. We'll keep digging through them and keep having you back and talking about them. Awesome. Cool. That was Live Happy Editor Chris Libby joining me to talk about the 7th International Positive Psychology Association World of Congress. If you'd like to learn more about IPA, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for this week. We're going to meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.